Good evening, brothers and sisters. How are you all today? Okay, so... We are... Let me see. Stopped at uh, chapter three, approaching the Dharma, uh, introduction, and uh, which page do we stop? Can you recall where, besides feeling, can you recall where we stopped? 84, huh? Okay. So, in this section, in this chapter, we cover uh, the teachings of the Buddha, yeah, the Dharma itself. Last week we touched on. <coughs> uh, let's wait for the plane. should write into the Air Force. Uh. Yeah, they should stop flying or training at this hour. Okay, so <clears throat> there was a statement last week which uh, which is quite crucial. And it is this last paragraph in page 83. The Buddha says that his teaching is about suffering and the cessation of suffering. Yeah. So, um, with that in mind, uh, in a way, that should be the attitude we have towards learning the Dharma as well. Yeah. We should, when we learn the Dharma, we should consider. Um, how to actually apply it to overcome our suffering. Uh, but you must, uh, you must know that while the, uh, while the various teachers can give you examples and try to guide us along, ultimately it's up to us to go and try it out. 
yeah, and to uh, see beyond the examples given, to see how it actually applies to our life. Because whatever you are affected today, uh, the teacher can suggest an approach. Uh, after you resolve it, tomorrow you encounter a different problem. So, if we have the kind of mindset, the teacher must, <laughs> or Sifu must, <laughs> provide all the solution. Then, tomorrow we must text Sifu again. Sifu, how about this one? Then, uh, Friday, boss scold you. Then, text Sifu. Sifu, boss scold me in this way. How should I respond? <laughs> that, that is not learning Dharma. Huh? Uh, so, um, the important thing about learning the Dharma is to have the first of all the right mindset, yeah. Uh, and even this statement itself, it's not simply just knowing all, you know, but to really have the right mindset, not just know all must have the right mindset. You know the difference, yeah. Mm. Having the right mindset versus knowing that you must have the right mindset. Uh, these are these are two different things. So some of you may be familiar with the Kai Jing Ji in the Chinese tradition. Yeah, uh, it was it was uh, penned down by Wu Zetian. So in the Chinese tradition, before we recite the a sutra, there's usually the recitation of these verses. Wu Shang Shen Shen Wei Miao Fa. Yeah, so these four uh, four verses uh, is uh, is uh, is known as the opening verses to a sutra. Yeah. Uh, usually we just recite it. Yeah. Uh, in fact, in the traditional sense, it's being chanted. Yeah, uh, but the aim is actually for us to do this reflection. There are many ways to do reflection, so this is one that was passed down. And um, after all these years, I find that yeah, it is a good reflection, but it is not a compulsory reflection to re- reflect in this exact manner. Yeah, there are those who say this is, you know, this is a Chinese thing. Nothing to do with Buddhism. Uh, that is that is not right. But to suggest that everybody must reflect in this way, that is also not right. Yeah. To me, the four verses is a good start, a good guide. Yeah. For us to actually use to do our reflection. Uh, yeah. And and this actually sets the mindset, the attitude, the direction we should have. Uh, in approach to learning the teachings. <coughs> so, <coughs> uh, moving on, uh, in page uh, 80, is it 84? 84, huh? So, in page 84, in the second paragraph, one text offering an excellent example of this approach is a short discourse in the Anguttara Nikaya popularly known as the Kalama Sutta. Yeah, I mentioned uh, previously to you all, the Kalama Sutta. Mm. 
included as text 3,2. The kalamas were a people. <coughs> Hello, <laughs> welcome to the class. The kalamas were a people living in a remote area of the Ganges plain. Various religious teachers would come to visit them and each would extol his own doctrine and tear down the doctrines of his rivals. Confused and perplexed by this conflict of belief systems, the Kalamas did not know whom to trust. When the Buddha passed through their town, they approached him and asked him to clear away their doubts. Though the text does not specify what particular issues were troubling the Kalamas, the later part of the discourse makes it clear that their perplexities revolved around the questions of rebirth and karma. Yeah, so uh, the Kalama Sutta is very widely uh, quoted and cited. Uh, but a, a few things to point out here. Um, the, the citations often just highlight the first section of the Kalama Sutta, which is about how 10 different sources um, of, of knowledge or information uh, cannot be simply taken as it is. Yeah? Uh, but after that, after that, the Buddha did go through uh, the approach, yeah? the approach one can adopt. Yeah. So it's not that the Buddha simply say, oh, there's nothing that you can trust and you should just uh, groundlessly question everything. Yeah. So this sutta is sometimes misquoted um, because they just cite the first part um, and then they conclude uh, like uh, you should not believe anything, you should not accept anything, you should question everything. Uh, so there was once when I was... Um, conducting this group cultivation and some youths, uh, well, the, uh, mostly youths last time, yeah, because the group cultivation last time was restricted to youth. So there was this time where uh, this, this student from NUS, so he, he asked a lot of questions, good questions, I answered accordingly, uh, but at some point I realized that he was simply just Questioning incessantly, yeah. I I'm, I wasn't disturbed by his questioning, but I realized that the way he questioned uh, would not actually help him. So I asked him. I said, "Okay, let's take a step back and ask him this question." In fact, I asked the whole class this question. I asked them whether any of them studied civil structural engineering, and none of them did. Yeah. Uh, definitely not that guy. Then I asked, uh, how, do, you all, do you all stay in HDB? And they said yes. And I asked, how many stories do you all stay in? So I think it was 10 stories or something. So then I asked them, um, every day when you go to sleep, do you, how do you know that it's not going to collapse? How do you know that your house is not going to collapse? And for that matter, private as well. How do you know that your house is not going to collapse? You actually don't. We assume that it's not going to collapse. And that's why when a building do collapse, we are so surprised. 
if we know that it's going to collapse, we wouldn't be surprised. So this is very telling about the assumptions we make about things in general. Now there are a few key things I highlighted that day. And it is that um, <coughs> in order for a person to know whether the whole building is structurally sound, you need some uh, surveyor to go through the whole building and do routine checks. And such checks are, are conducted yeah, uh, uh, for HDB buildings, for public buildings. Yeah, private buildings, they're supposed to do the check and then get verified by the authorities. So, um, but, but we never do the check ourselves. So, even when you enter a lift, all you are depending on is that piece of paper that has a signature and an up-to-date date. Not 2005, <laughs> yeah? but uh, signed 2006, 16, or 2017. Simply because there's a piece of paper there with a signature, you, you feel quite safe to enter. And again, that's why when suddenly the leaf break down or you know the, the leaf open and then there's no leaf there and then someone fall into it, we are like, wow, big news. Because, hey, if someone signed on it, it's supposed to work. So we, we make these assumptions without verifying as well. Right? And I, my point to him is that your, your scientific approach is correct, it's good. But in our normal day-to-day -day life, even scientists don't go and question every single thing. There are certain things that as long as it has gone through a certain process, you trust that it should be okay. Yeah? Because if you were to apply this must, must question everything, <laughs> you cannot function. Yeah, you cannot function. Yeah. So, similarly, uh, when we learn, let's say, science or physics or chemistry, uh, there are certain things when you are in, let's say, uh, secondary school, when you first learn about the constant small g, they tell you that it's 10. Yeah. Then later they tell you that it's 9.8. So is it 9.8 correct or 10 correct? Actually, both are wrong. <laughs> yeah, both are approximation. It's 9.8 something, something, something. Yeah. But for most calculation that you do at secondary level, 10 doesn't matter. <laughs> 10 or 9.8 doesn't matter. Yeah. Because it, it, they're trying to teach you another principle. And you cannot go and question why is it 9.8. I mean, you can, but at that level, you, you don't have enough tools to really go and verify our question. Yeah. So similarly, uh, in Buddhism, uh, you can actually question everything. You can verify everything. Yeah. But there are certain things that at certain point in time, you are not able to, you don't have enough tools. Yeah. So you cannot start off with that kind of, oh, we must be scientific, so we must question every single thing. Yeah. That was my point to them. Yeah, which, which is what many young people, especially in the universities, we, I mean, I was one of them last time, yeah, we would quote the Kalama Sutta and hold it up like, oh, whatever people say must question and challenge. Yeah. If, it doesn't make, if it doesn't sound correct, we should. Yeah, but, yeah, so there are certain, certain things to consider. Yeah, so the, the, the Sutta, Kalama Sutta, was named after this group of people. Yeah? It was actually a, one of this um, village 
yeah, one of these village or town that the Buddha was passing through. And when they heard that the Buddha was around, yeah, they also heard certain reports about him. Yeah, uh, about him being an enlightened one, an arahant, and so on. So they decided, huh, why don't we go and ask him yeah, about our, our predicament, yeah, which is that all the teachers claim to be correct and you know, state that everybody else is wrong. So someone, you know, who, who, who is saying the truth? Yeah. So the Buddha began by assuring the, the Kalamas that under such circumstances, it was proper for them to doubt. For the issues that troubled them were indeed common sources of doubt and perplexity. <laughs> See? Yeah, so when Sifu always tell you, uh, in Buddhism, it's okay to doubt. If they are... <laughs> You know, if you, as long as you're not enlightened, how can you not doubt? If you don't doubt, that means you are basically just accepting on faith, you know. Yeah. So I, I have basis, uh, it's not that, you know, we just anyhow say. Yeah. So he then told them to, not to rely on ten sources of belief. Yeah, so even in the Buddha's time, there were ten different sources of knowledge where people were just believe. Yeah. So here, uh, it is listed out. Four of these pertain to established scriptural authority. Yeah? So meaning that certain teachings uh, are already uh, known for a long time. Yeah? And they may be passed through oral tradition. Meaning, in the past, there's no written script. So in Chinese, we say, yeah? So passed down from generations to generations through uh, speech. Yeah? You hear from your teacher, then you teach your students uh, the same exact thing. Yeah? Uh, then lineage of teaching. Uh, uh, in my school, this has always been taught. Yeah? So it must be correct. <laughs> so if the Buddha says, even this, hmm, you cannot just say that because it has always been taught in your school this way, then it must be correct. No. Don't simply accept it because it's like that. Then hearsay. Yeah, hearsay. It, my first experience of hearsay is when I was in secondary school in Scouts. Our Scoutmaster, uh, he was a very interesting man. Because oftentimes, uh, whenever something was done, then he would ask us why. And then the most common reply was, uh, because they say one. Yeah, in a very singlish way. Way, uh, they say one. Then he will always ask, Who is the day? <laughs> who is the day? Then they will always uh, 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 don't, know, don't know who is the day. Yeah. Uh, in a way, that, that left a very strong impression in me. Yeah. Uh, what is most important is his explanation. Anyone can ask this question, Who is the day? But it was his reasoning behind asking that question. Because most people simply just hear say and don't have real basis for what is being said. And I will tell you this, I have witnessed for myself several times in all these years where sometimes casual conversation, person A asks a question yeah, to person B. For example, uh, uh, is this yours? But somehow the way it's expressed, this is yours. Huh. Or then the person didn't hear the ha. Huh. 
then it becomes this is yours then he will just answer yes oh oh thank you then the person also oh, is yours <laughs> you know what I mean yeah so sometimes it's the person who is making the, the question yeah or making a statement uh, the way we express and sometimes it's the other person who is listening or half the time not listening then you have all this confusion yeah and then after that that another person asks, hey, who is this? Oh, it's mine. He, he said mine. <laughs> then before you know it, it becomes very confirmed somebody. When in fact, right from the start, nobody knows who this was. Yeah. Um, this is just a, a bottle of water. No big deal. Yeah. In a way, no big deal. Yeah. But I have attended meetings. So just now I mentioned casual conversation. I have attended meetings three different parties, different departments, different groups. Discuss, 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 then... You know how it's like during meetings? Sometimes it drags on and on and on and never clear, never come to a conclusion. Then people just want to move on to their point. You know, there's something else they want to discuss. Or, oh, yeah, already one hour, okay, okay, can, can, can. So there was, there was many times, likewise, okay, 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 then I, I say, then they wanted to talk about the next point, and I say, "Wait, are you sure you, you know you all agree?" Then they said, "Oh, all agree, did." So I said, "So person A was the one who raised up the point. Then B and C is supposed to agree." So I said, "Okay, um, B, you 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 say you tell us what you think you agreed to." So when person B say it out, both person A and C. Hey, no, no, that's not what we agreed to. Then when person C say what he thought he agreed, it's also nothing to do with what person A said. But yet, yet people will just okay, okay, agree. Yeah. Also here, say uh, is a source of a lot of problem. Yeah. Uh, and collection of texts. Uh, just because, like, in the Buddha's time, there wasn't. There wasn't something called a book, uh, yeah, because it's not common yet. Yeah, uh, this is in page eighty-four. Yeah, page eighty-four, third paragraph. Hello, hello. Page eighty-four, third paragraph. No. Yeah. So even collection of text. Yeah. If. If now a person were to just make a statement, it may not sound so credible. Then the person tells you, this is from the encyclopedia. This is from uh, this collection of texts. We have uh, 300 uh, chapters. Yeah, and this is under uh, uh, the number 135, 35th chapter, and under section 3, uh, clause A. Oh, sounds very credible. It must be true. Lah. You know, so many chapters. You know, So our tendency to just accept what... You know, when it looks credible. Next, fall to rational grounds. Yeah, this is where <laughs> it's quite interesting. Most people uh, think that as long as it makes sense, yeah, uh, there's logic there is correct. The Buddha says no. Yeah. So first of all, logic, then inferential reasoning, reasoned co- cogitation, and the acceptance of a view after pondering it. Yeah, let's look, let's look at the last one. You just think about it, okay, then you just accept it. Cannot. Yeah. Then <clears throat> the second last one, 
uh, you you have not not just thought through it, but you go through some process of reasoning. Mm, okay, seems to make sense. Yeah, a bit more detail. The last one is the worst. Huh? Then the Buddha says that is not good enough. If you look at the first and the second one, logic. I want to just share with you something about Western philosophy. Yeah, in ancient Greece, they they had this uh, history of developing uh, logic. Uh, developing logic. So at some point, um, you know the the few well-known ones. Uh, we have Plato, we have Socrates, uh, and then the later one, Aristotle, and so on. Yeah. Uh, they came to the point where they value logic so much. Uh, to what extent? They say that if you manage, if the statement is true, then it must be true. If it's logical, it must be true. Yeah. Um, if you learn logic formally, <coughs> now, today, you write it in, the, in this way. Let A be the statement. Da, 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 da. Yeah. So, for, for example, the statement is, the sun rises from the west. I'm giving you an illogical statement. Yeah, or rather, and it's not illogical. Uh, I'm giving you an untrue statement. Okay, so let A be the statement: the sun rises from the west. Yeah, if I can somehow prove that this statement A is correct, then the sun must be rising from the west. So at some point in time in Western philosophy and logic, <coughs> they actually accepted this. Uh, they came to the point where they value reasoning and logic so much that they say, yeah, that must be correct. So, but that was the turning point because at some point, then someone said, but if you manage to prove that the, the sun rises from the west, the sun still rises from the east wall. So, during the turning point, some insisted, no, then the sun is wrong. <laughs> this is the, the extreme of, if you accept logic, you know, in Hokkien we have a saying, si aga wa, wa aga si. Yeah, so, that sometimes you can have flawed reasoning, yeah, flawed logic. So, some logic is actually, there's some trick to, to argument. Yeah. So, if a person uses this tactic, right, they can make something that is not true appear to be true. Yeah. So, um, the development of Western philosophy had, had this major turning point where they where they come to this point, finally someone stand up and say, "Wait a minute! <laughs> Even if your if your statement is true, but the sun does rise from the east, so your statement must be wrong. You must go and check your statement. Something is wrong with your statement." This became the pillar stone of Western philosophy and science. So today, our scientific approach actually came from this process. It took several hundred years for them to go through this process. But it's beautiful, you know. Because today, you can say whatever you want. You can say whatever you want. You can say that the sun actually rises from the west. Uh, you must make a, this statement. But this statement is just a hypothesis. Then from the hypothesis, you must either prove through, uh, have some mathematical uh, uh, 
calculations or some logical statement based on first principles. Then after that, you must verify with the real world. And if it matches with the real world, that means your statement is correct. Then, but that is just the first cut. Huh? It is not established as a theory. Then you must publish it. You must test a few times. Huh? And then once you are quite certain, you can publish it. Then other scientists will reproduce the experiment in other con other places. And only when they can all reproduce and get the same outcome, then they say, okay, yours is established as a theory of how the sun actually rises from the west. <laughs> if not, if it cannot be reproduced or you cannot reproduce, then you must go and relook at your statement and your formula and do revision. Hmm. This is how today we can have a voice recorder, we can have handphone, we can sit in the in a chair in a this big metal structure and fly through the sky. Yeah. So uh, back to the text. Uh. <clears throat> so logic. Yeah. Then inferential reasoning. What is inferential reasoning? Chinese have a saying. Wu Feng. You know. Uh, what is that? Uh, uh, yeah, three one. So like, Wu Feng Bu Lang. Yeah, sometimes it can work, but sometimes it doesn't work. For example, a tsunami wave is not because there's wind, no. it's because of an earthquake. So if you think Wu Feng Bu Lang, most of the time, whenever there's a wave, it's because of wind. But a tsunami is not because of wind; it's because of an earthquake. Yeah. Another example of inferential reasoning is the moment you see smoke, there must be fire. There's no fire, there's no smoke without fire. Yeah, but it's not true. Huh? Now there's smoke maker. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Or maybe the fire has already been put out. Or maybe th there's some other phenomena. Yeah, so inferential reasoning uh, doesn't always work. Yeah, so the Buddha refuted that as well. You know? So for on rational four to rational grounds. So four uh, pertaining to established scriptural authority, four to rational grounds, and then the last two. And two to authoritative or authoritative persons. Yeah. Number one, impressive speakers, and number two, respected teachers. <laughs> so this is very interesting. Yeah. If a speaker is very impressive, if now for example, if Shifu start to uh, stutter, yeah, uh, pause unnecessarily, yeah, in the explanation, uh, in public speaking, we learn about these techniques, yeah, to use pauses at the right time for it to sink in just enough, yeah, to to solicit understanding or acceptance, yeah. But um, recognizing that this is actually uh, not the right thing. Uh. That's why some, sometimes the problem with having gone through this training is hey, then the students, after hearing your argument, oh, makes sense, makes sense. But we know that half the time some students don't really, it's not accepting it because they really understand it. That's why we have to try so hard to, to really question your, to give your counter examples and to give your um, homework to go and think because otherwise you are just accepting because, oh, this venerable or this teacher happened to 
wow, expressed himself very well. Yeah, sounds very convincing. Yeah, but that is not the way also. Yeah, or I've mentioned before in class, you see a photo of some grandmaster. Yeah, then whatever on Facebook now, wow, wow, a lot of saying. Uh, then we just accept it. And unfortunately now, even the Buddha is being sabuwa. Uh, have you all seen before this, this, uh, this conversation? A man went to the, see the Buddha. The man asked the Buddha, I want, told the Buddha, I want happiness. Then the Buddha told him, take away I and take away want. Then you have happiness. Eh? Wow, sounds... Eh, sounds like a good idea, huh? Eh, it's true, ma. You, I want happiness. So the Buddha's, wow, wow, really, Buddha is so wise, no? Wow, we feel so proud of Buddhism, isn't it? Huh? Wow, don't have to give long Dhamma talk. Just tell you exactly in your question is the answer. Wow, beautiful. So, a few problems here. Number one, I've never seen such a sutra before. So, such attribution is very dangerous. Yeah? Why is it dangerous? It's dangerous because you don't need all of, the, all of these kind of uh, images or messages to be wrong. The trouble is if all of them, most of them are correct, then it's very hard to know when there's a wrong one. Because you have already built up confidence that when you see something like that, it should be correct. And that's why uh, occasionally when I see such uh, posting, I will just put a line there, citation please. <laughs> Sometimes people, wow, it's like, ah, you are this sifu. This is a Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes I know that certain quotes, certain things do have a certain sutra. But I will still ask citation please. Yeah. Why? Because... I want to encourage people to have the habit. If you say that it's said by the Buddha, you should be able to point it to the Buddha. If you say that Dalai Lama said this, you should be able to say in which conference, during what session did he say this. Then people can verify. Otherwise, anyhow, you, you put uh, 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 20 such images out there. 18 of them are all correct. Two of them are wrong. How many, how many Buddhists out there can actually tell the difference? Most... You, you will not be able to tell the difference. Hmm. So, this advice is sometimes quoted to prove that the Buddha rejected all external authorities and invited each individual to fashion his, his or her own personal path to truth. Right in context, however, the message of the Kalama Sutta is quite different, yeah? as I mentioned earlier. Hmm. Most people tend to just quote this part and then say that See, the Buddha rejected all forms of recognized uh, knowledge. Uh, you should reject everything. <laughs> then you can just figure everything out yourself. So, he, uh, Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi also highlighted this. Yeah? The Buddha is not advising the Kalamas, who, it must be stressed, had at this point not yet become his own disciples. Yeah? The Buddha is not advising the Kalamas to reject all authoritative guides to spiritual understanding and fall back solely on their own personal intuition. Yeah? 
Rather, he is offering them a simple and pragmatic outlet from the morass of doubt and perplexity in which they are to they are immersed. By the use of skillful methods of inquiry, he leads them to understand a number of basic principles that they can verify by their own experience and thereby acquire a sure starting point for further spiritual development. Yeah. So <clears throat> one of the key questions that the Buddha asked or Buddha stated was um, it has to do with what is your goal? Yeah. Uh, are you trying to have more happiness or less happiness? Hmm. Are you trying to have more happiness or less happiness? If you do something and it's uh, affected by uh, influence or driven by greed, hatred and delusion and results in you doing killing, stealing, sexual misconduct and lying, then that would promote suffering, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so the Buddha, instead of making it like uh, a dogmatic rule, must be like this or must be like that, he invites the Kalamas to consider. Yeah? But there's a certain framework involved as well. Uh, uh, let me see. Uh, Andrew. Uh, maybe we can pass Andrew the mic. It's already turned on. Always underlying the Buddha's questions, and their reply is that is the toxic uh, premise that people are primarily motivated to act by a concern for their own wellness, uh, welfare, and happiness. Uh, in asking this particular set of questions, the Buddha uh, Buddha's purpose is to lead the uh, Kalamans to see that even when we suspend all concern with future's life, unwholesome mental states such as greed, hatred and delusion, and unwholesome actions, uh, actions such as killing and stealing eventually rebounds. I think it is rebound or redound. Mm. I think it's rebound. Rebound to one's own harm and suffering right here and now. Uh, conversely, wholesome men, uh, mental states and wholesome actions promotes one long-term welfare and happiness here and now. Mm, thank you. Uh, Louise? Once this, is, this much is Once seen. this much is seen, the immediate visible harmful consequences to which unwholesome mental uh, states lead become a sufficient reason for abandoning them, while the visible benefits to which a wholesome mental states leads becomes a sufficient motivation for cultivating them. Then, whether or not there is a life after death, one has adequate reasons in the present life to abandon unwholesome me mental states and cultivate wholesome mental states. If there is an afterlife, one's recompense is simply that much greater. Thank you. Yeah. Later on, when we look through the Kalama Sutta, yeah, you will see the full detail. Uh, but for those who have read through it, you will notice that 
uh, the Buddha didn't enforce or didn't uh, force the Kalamas to accept that there is rebirth or even that there are there is karma or not. Yeah, uh, but he basically reasoned that uh, if there's none, then even in this life, if you do harmful deeds, you will you will get consequences. But if there are future life and there are corresponding results, yeah, harmful acts to painful results, yeah, then all the more you should avoid it. Yeah. So when we read this, in a way it's very liberating. I remember when I was in the US, there was this American lady who came to the monastery and um, I was the the guest monk in charge of visitors. So uh, while answering her questions, then at some point she asked me, she says, uh, she says that she cannot find enough reason to accept uh, rebirth. So initially I was like, oh, you know, here to challenge the teaching. Then later on I listened to her carefully and I realized that she wasn't trying to challenge the teaching, but he was trying to ask me to help her uh, have a way to understand rebirth. He was, she was trying to understand rebirth, but she couldn't find enough, enough evidence or reasons to accept it. Yeah. Now I want you all to note your own facial expression. Yeah. Relax your eyebrows. Mm. Learning Dharma should be a very relaxing process. Yeah, shouldn't become tense up. Huh? Mm. <laughs> some, some of you, learn you. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm so when when I when I hear her actual request, uh, then I realize okay, and this is what I told her. I said, in the past I would try very hard to convince people to that there's past life and future life. But at that point in time, I told her I said, okay, well, at this point you don't have enough evidence. So what does it what does that do to you? Yeah. What does that do to you? For her, um, without enough evidence, so she can only conclude that there's only one life. And for her, thinking that there's only one life, she wants to do the most wholesome deeds, the best, to, to basically bring her life to the maximum potential of goodness. So I, I told her, I said, well, that's good enough. For you, you don't need to know whether there's future life or not. If, if for you, without knowing whether there's future life or not, you already have the right, right mindset, the right view to, to practice, then why do you need to, yeah, don't have to worry about that. Yeah. Uh, honestly, last time, when, huh? And then she said that it's my one and only life I want to enjoy to the fullest. Yeah, there are such people who are like that. Nowadays, there's this concept called YOLO. You only live once. Yeah, in the for the millennials, yeah. So they have this this tagline, yeah, YOLO. So since you only live once, you should enjoy yourself the most. 
Yeah, this is actually another name for the materialist view. Yeah. Uh, we we day in day out use the word uh, materialistic, yeah. Uh, this term, uh, but this term materialistic or materialism is actually one of the philosophical view, yeah. The view that only the material world exists. There's no spiritual or mental, uh, no no other realm exists. Only physical. So those who subscribe to the materialist view is actually a form of annihilist also, where once you die, everything comes to an end. Yeah. Uh, but in particular, those who are materialist view of materialist view, then there are a lot of other sub branches la. Yeah. The one that we call materialistic is just one of the sub branches where they seek uh, what we call hedonistic. That uh, means just enjoy themselves. Yeah. So, um, in due time, we will look at this sutta. Uh, Doreen, a similar approach? A similar approach underlies text 3 3, in which the Buddha demonstrates how present suffering arises and ceases in correlation with present craving. This short sutta addressed to a lay follower concisely articulates the causal principle that lies behind the Four Noble Truths, but rather than doing so in the abstract, it adopts a concrete down-to-earth approach that has a remarkably contemporary appeal. By using powerful examples drawn from the life of a layman deeply attached to his wife and son, the Sutta makes a deep and lasting impression on us. Mm. Yeah, the, the challenge sometimes is uh, when there's no examples given, we, uh, I don't know whether it's a Singaporean thing, uh, then we may feel, ah, yeah, no examples given, how do I practice? But when we are given actual examples, we find, well, how is, what kind of teaching is this? This is too painful to face, I'm going to practice. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so we will we'll take a look at this sutta as well. Huh? Yeah. Attachment to his wife and son. Hmm. Uh, next. The fact that such texts as this sutta and the Kalama sutta do not dwell on the doctrines of karma and rebirth does not mean, as is sometimes assumed, that such, te- such teachings are mere cultural accretions to the Dhamma that can be deleted or explained away without losing anything essential. It means only that at the outset, the Dhamma can be approached in ways that do not require reference to past and future lives. The Buddha's teaching has many sides and thus from certain angles, it can be directly evaluated against our concern for our past well-being and our present. Our present well-being and happiness. Thank you. Mm. So, yeah, while while these two sutta don't directly uh, deal with karma and rebirth, uh, it doesn't mean that. Uh, so, Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi highlights this. Uh, because in the Western, especially in the Western society, the Western Buddhists, uh, there are some scholars who suggest that, oh, karma, rebirth came later. Yeah, the teaching on karma and rebirth, the six realms, 
all these are actually uh, not so crucial or in fact are just add-ons, yeah, cultural add-ons. Yeah. Uh, but if we look through all the different suttas, there's too much references to all this. So unless we are suggesting that the Buddha never said any of this and all this throughout all the sutras are all added mm. on. Yeah. Oh. Uh, Doreen? Uh, yes? Can I can ask a question. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, here we say uh, to either have a own experience and or example, example, the Buddha give example. In example, in Chinese they call Hong An. Is it? Gong um, An. Uh. Uh, in a way, Gong An is example, but uh, in in particular, the word Gong An is from Zen tradition. Uh. Yes. And Gong uh, An, as, uh, as, the, as a practice within Zen tradition, is not so much an example. Yeah. In Zen tradition, Kong An is meant as a point of reflection and contemplation um, for them to go and chan, chan na Kong An. Yeah. Yeah. So while the uh, while generally speaking, the word Kong An can be used that way as okay. But <coughs> in the Zen tradition, the same word Gong An, uh, like uh, very famous one. Uh, yeah, but some of these Gong An uh, may not even be a real example. Yeah. Uh, but what is your question? My question here is. Um, we test case the, the 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 lady who came to ask you about the rebirth. Okay. So we cannot experience rebirth. Yeah. In this life. Uh, is there any example that Buddha see talk, talking about rebirth that we can we can actually accept it? Is there any example for rebirth? Uh, yes. So I, I could have easily given her um, re- referred her to many sutras where the Buddha observed uh, like for example we have gone through uh, the the Buddha's own enlightenment where he saw his own past life. Yeah, and then he saw the past lives of um, all sentient beings. That itself is a, already uh, a statement that there is rebirth. Yeah, but um, in my opinion, I don't think that that was sufficient for her. Yeah, I don't think that would be sufficient for anyone. Because if it's sufficient, you probably won't have this question really. <laughs> because it's such a sta- such a uh, such a an approach is basically saying that someone saw it. The problem with rebirth is, as you say, how can you let someone see it? Uh, in Buddhism, you, you can technically practice to the point where you can see it for yourself. 
It's just like now if I tell you that there's this galaxy many, many light years away. First of all, how many of you know what light years mean? A light year means the time taken for light to travel in, or rather not the time, the distance, yeah, the distance through which light photon would travel in a year. Yeah. Why is it that uh, when we talk about as, uh, astronomy, we talk about light years? Because things are so far away, uh, it takes like so long, you know. So if I now tell you that many, many thousand light years away, uh, there are many other galaxies. How do you know? We can always say that, oh, there are some pictures. But a lot of these pictures, color, right, are actually modified. Why? Because a lot of these pictures are taken of some of the stars, and the stars or the star clusters um, emit uh, radio wave, which is not visible. So the scientists take some of these different frequency to these certain colors, so to look, so that we can see it. So, but if you want to go and verify it, <laughs> you know. So there are certain things that, uh, just as in science, likewise in Buddhism, uh, you can actually go and verify. Yeah, uh, rebirth, past life, you can actually practice, but it takes a lot of, uh, it, it takes a while. Uh, yeah. So that, that, that is, that's the reason why um, I would, like, how many of you over here accept rebirth? Accept that there's rebirth? How many of you don't accept that there's, or can't accept yet that there's rebirth? Oh, all accept? Uh? Okay. You, you don't, right? Yeah. I don't know. Oh, you don't know? I'm neutral. You're neutral. Because I don't know. There's no test case. There's no... Um. Not, not a... Yes. Yeah, so... Uh, so that, that's the thing. Like, for example, there's this uh, doctor. There's this... Not doctor. He's a scientist. Stephen something. Uh, so he published a few books. He's said to have done research into this area. Um, and he, he would uh, uh, go to different countries, go and interview uh, young kids about uh, what they, they claim to be a memory that they couldn't have experienced. A very notable, a few notable ones is a small kid who says that, who described uh, a warplane and the whole process of crashing that is too vivid for a small kid at that young age to have seen in a movie and, you know. So then, uh, when through all the details given, they go and search for the village or the hometown of this person. You know, supposed to be a World War One or Two fighter jet person, you know. But it really got, they really found such a person. <laughs> yeah. So there are such books out there. Yeah. Uh, and some Buddhists would uh, would like to always highlight these books as a source of evidence that there is rebirth. Uh, you can take a look, yeah. Uh, but for me, I would still hesitate to use that as an ev evidence also, yeah. And the reason is because um, I didn't do I didn't do the test myself, yeah. Uh, I don't. 
Huh? Then Sifu, why would you believe? When will I believe? No, why, why would I believe? Why would I believe? Because <laughs> I see too many things for myself that, that uh, can, be, can be explained by rebirth. Yeah, without referring to those researchers. Yeah, I've seen other things that... But if I were to tell you what I, I've seen, it may not... It, it like, huh, like that also can believe. Because you never see for yourself. Uh. <laughs> uh. She, she, she raised first. Mine is not a question, but mine is... Uh. Like okay, anyway... Um, I choose to believe there's rebirth. Okay. I suspect part of me don't want to believe that I would be stuck in hell eternally. You know, like, I choose Buddhism, I choose to believe there's rebirth, because the other side is Christianity, which is eternal hell, which I'll be going to, you know, when people say, oh, you're Buddhist, then... You go to hell. No, then I say, okay, never mind, all my friends are in hell. That's <laughs> what I do. But I choose to believe in rebirth because, so that I have a chance to, you know, even reborn as a rat, whatever, but reborn, but not stuck in hell. Uh. That's why part of me suspect I choose to believe in rebirth. Uh. It's, it's some kind of a consolation whether there's real facts or not, you know. Uh. It doesn't hit me so hard as much as if the fact that no... I'll be in hell eternally. Okay. That, that is, I don't know, I don't know whether people choose to believe in rebirth because of that, but um, you know, it's like a consolation. It's a good question to ask. Okay. <laughs> yeah. wait, wait, he, he raised first. Your, your turn, your turn. Uh, I go by order. <laughs> hey, wait, wait, Mike, Mike. Forget about all the mic. Uh. Yeah, yeah. I must get wireless mic. Then, <laughs> you know, very easy to go around. Uh, pardon me if I cannot speak well, but I think. Uh, uh, no, you speak we well. Rebirth, rebirth, uh. and there's uh, karma all linked up to. Uh what we are now studying uh, Buddhism. Uh-huh. If, without these two uh, links, uh, uh-huh. rebirth, karma, everything, uh, all, I think, will collapse. Mm. We don't need to study Buddhism really. Mm. Because uh, rebirth, if you don't believe in rebirth, now you can choose to do whatever you want. Really? Yeah, because you, 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 think, you think there's no rebirth, you just this life which after ends, then you... Stop already, ma. So, what's the point of uh, mm. cultivating? What's the point of uh, but you know continue? If you can enjoy the mass, uh, the, most, the most, yeah, then you can proceed yeah, to so do people it. People will mm. argue. People, yeah. people will argue that that's the reason why uh, uh, Buddhism uh, use this method to ask people to practice. Practice. Um, yeah. Okay, this, let's this have a debate, other, Yeah. But. Okay. Uh, it, what we, we study Buddhism uh. is that we see the doctrine that uh, what teaches us that uh, we we cannot deny what or prove that the teaching is wrong. We, we mm. can go and prove it. Uh, whatever is uh, uh, that where there's mm. everlasting things uh, the, uh. the things that the states internally the states mm. that is still stay like that it will not it, you know, will not uh, so called deteriorate no? mm. everything will deteriorate even a plastic also will deteriorate but it's mm. only thousand years so uh, this oh, okay <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay like, next speaker okay next uh, next speaker next speaker okay next speaker I <laughs> 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 Okay, I just want to check. Uh, you talk about rebirth. Yeah. I'm just very curious if we 
talk about rebirth, does it mean that when we pass away, rebirth will be in the same country again or can be reborn in another country? Ah. So, um, <laughs> no, it's a good question. Yeah, I, I mean, because the Tibetan, you see, uh, because I, I realize that for, for example, the Tibetan, they always, uh, they were reborn before the, the, the very senior person she passed away, yeah. they would say, oh, they were reborn on which particular place. They were yeah. going to find out where is this child to be born. Yeah, yeah. So I'm very curious, does it mean they were reborn in the same countries? No, not necessarily. They can be reborn in many different places. Yeah, so... That's the case, how about the Tibetan side? When the no, Lama Osa Rinpoche, he's, he's not uh, the Tibetan, he's Amor. He's an, a Westerner. Lama Osa? The Spanish one. Yeah, Spanish boy. Lama Osa Rinpoche. Uh, he's a Spanish boy, ma. So, I mean, that, it's just to answer your, your question. Uh, it, whether will we always be reborn in the same place? Answer is no. Yeah, even if you are reborn as a human being, uh, maybe this life Singapore, next life India. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it can be any. Okay, thank you. Mm. Okay, who who else want to share about rebirth or ask questions about rebirth? Uh, anybody? Can you use Chinese? Can you use Mandarin? Can you use Hokkien? Teochew? Okay, so... Listen, listen. Listen. Okay, Like Other than the place, can you really choose where they reincarnate? Reborn. Okay, so one, one, one quick point. Uh, we, uh, we tend to use the word rebirth instead of reincarnate. Yeah, because the word reincarnate has certain uh, implication to it. Reincarnate means to, uh, to come into flesh again. Yeah, and it, it has this implication that there's, a, there's something else that comes into the flesh, which is the whole concept of, big, of, of a, a soul going into the body. Yeah, so we, at some point we stop using or we avoid using reincarnate. Although sometimes, uh, in some texts, it is mutually um, exchangeable. Yeah, but just want to highlight this. Not that you had this, this thought also, but um, just to highlight. So, um, your question, what's your question? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the choice of where to go and so on. Uh, yes and no. For most people, for many people, maybe no. You cannot choose. Uh, for some people, they can choose. So, but we always choose, we in fact always choose. Let me give you an example uh, using our real life. For example, every year, there are students who go for exams. Uh, are there any students who consciously choose to fail their exams? No. Uh, last year, P6 students just finished their PSLE. This year, recently, they just received that posting. Uh, all students, I, I would say most, like, maybe there are some students who want to sabotage their parents or rebel against their parents. I purposely don't want to study. 
but that's his choice also. Ma. So, a person, a student may choose to say, hey, I want to go to a good school. Yeah, that is a choice also. <clears throat> then, but the real choice is made when he go to school every day. Whether he choose to listen to the teacher's teaching and then ask questions when he has doubts and then do his homework and then do revision and so on. Um, that is also a decision. Although he, he may not keep on saying, oh, I want to go to good school, but his actions is in line with that direction, giving him enough uh, credit yeah, to, to fulfill his choice. Yeah. So if a person were to keep on saying the whole year, oh, I want to go to good school, I want to go to, may I go to good school, may I go to good school, then, but never study. Uh. <laughs> then next year, PSLE results come out, he still fill up, he, he get uh, 199. <laughs> okay? Aggregate score 199. Then he still think, mm, I want to go to Hua Chong, uh, Hua Chong Institute. Yeah, then he's sign, he write, first choice, Hua Chong, second choice, Alright, third choice, don't know what. Uh, in fact, he just choose two choice. Confirm can go in. Wow, he's full of confidence. But his result is only 199. You think, do you think he can go in? Mm. So, uh, we all choose. Yeah? But most of us only choose when filling up the form. We never choose on a day-to-day basis while going to school. Yeah. So, likewise, you ask anybody, anybody want to go to hell? Nobody. Anybody want to go be reborn as a human being in Singapore? <laughs> uh, <laughs> awkward question. <laughs> uh, do you want to be reborn in a, a good place with a good family? Uh, you know, wow, everything good? Yes. Do you want to be reborn in pure land? Wow, yes. Yeah, but this is like filling up the form. Uh, it's just an, an idea. But you must fulfill the credits so that your form upake. Uh, yes. Uh, lie, lie. Uh, uh, sorry, Mike, Mike, Mike. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 yeah, the two, let me re- repeat the question. Uh. So his question is, uh, ultimately, um, it is how we get to face the results. Yeah? And not so much the destination. But in fact, the two are related. Yeah, the two are related. So um, people want to go to a good destination. So in other words, they don't want to face the consequences. <laughs> So, uh, I think, not, not I think, during the retreat recently, ah, your lugi, never go for retreat. <laughs> so I explained, I explained to the, uh, I explained to them uh, about how our, the very practice of meditation yeah, actually helps us steer our mind. Yeah, it helps us to learn how to steer our mind. And by steering our mind, then uh, it affects what kind of uh, karmic imprints, karmic seeds get to ripen. Yeah. 
So uh, to more directly answer your question, uh, have we done in the past life or in this life uh, things that may result in painful re- in pain? Yeah, it's possible. Uh, how to avoid it? The Buddha gave very good good instructions. Start to uh, be mindful of your mental states. Cultivate more wholesome mental states. Avoid evil unwholesome states. Yeah. By doing this, then the evil unwholesome states that were planted last time, maybe they grow up to this point, then they get stuck. They cannot grow further. Because you don't water. Yeah. Uh, whereas, you, you start to plant new wholesome seeds. You keep watering the wholesome ones. Then the wholesome ones keep growing. Yeah, then it over it outshines the unwholesome ones. Such that in some suttas, the Buddha says, even when the unwholesome one ripens, it is masked over by the wholesome ones. So he gave the example of how, uh, just like a grain of salt, you put it inside a cup versus the whole lake. Uh, so this can affect... Uh, in fact, there was one SGC, I think two SGC before, uh, Ingli asked the question about karma. Yeah. Uh, in a way, it's short of time, uh, so I didn't give the full, full picture. Yeah. So I think some people may have end up thinking that, oh, cannot do anything about past karma. Uh, you cannot do anything about what has been done, it's done already. Yeah, but you can influence how it's going to be experienced by uh, cultivating wholesome karma. Mm. That, does it answer your question? Mm. Yes, sir. You first, okay, lie, ready? Me first. Okay, lie, ready? <laughs> okay, I'm ready. Okay, I'm ready. Speak English, because No, you can speak Mandarin also, it's okay. Right? Hurry。你要拿靠近一點。他们有一些蜘蛛马迹给我们的这些佛教的这些教理就是教育就是说教我们照着他的方式去做从这个当中我们自己逐步的去证证证实有这样子的这个过程可是真正的我不相信可以我们可以有一个证明上可以有一个东西我们可以证明说有这一回事我
所以我们也不能不所以你要我们只可以去相信相信不对因为你自己刚才你现在讲的东西否定了自己啊因为你刚才说因为我们不是阿罗汉所以我们不能印证那为什么说不可以印证呢所以我的意思说我们要通过我们个人除了我相信佛所说的
Central Barbara Central Barbara Barbara Ah, Central Barbara Institute Santa for San, Santa Barbara Institute of uh, Conscious uh-huh. Consciousness Study. He said that 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 is part of the rebirth, the consciousness study. Uh-huh. So yeah, study la, but uh, is it a scientific proof? Well, so far, the only evidence or the only account that people can have is, okay, this person, uh, and usually they would highlight young people, young kids, because for the young kids to have certain knowledge, (laughs) for certain young kids to have uh, exclusive knowledge, about things that has happened 20, 30 years ago <coughs> or even longer uh, that is extremely difficult so so far most of the studies are directed in this direction Yeah, you attended the course did he give elaboration on what kind of study they do? No, he, he actually during a course he mentioned that he's raising money so if anybody wants to support him please pay Please donate to him. Okay. So he didn't share about what his finding is. Oh. He still, he still, he still researching. Uh, researching. He's still getting money. Oh. And one of the things he's studying, trying to get a practical example about rebirth. Uh, rebirth people interview, and then oh. he also tried to be more scientific, maybe to study the brain, uh-huh. study the brain and how how the person who has information of past life, how his brain function and Oh. More scientific way. Okay. Well. But he didn't share all this, but he only talked about money. Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> okay. So, but this is quite practical. It is quite practical because it, it's a university. You need for a lot of funding to do all these things. Okay. But. So. Uh, no, you should just close the door properly and not wait for the stopper. Yeah. Okay. So your your point is. I want to just ask you whether you heard about this and. I've heard of Alan Wallace. Yes. Uh, he uh, the Buddhist Library invites him. I think um, once a year or once every two years or something. He will usually. He, he's a he's an old time friend with uh, Bante Dhammaratana. so I met him before as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. but I think this um, this research institute um, is is uh, probably a recent thing. Is For some time. Okay. Usually, when he comes to Singapore, he will give uh, yes. some talks on meta bhavana and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But he don't actually focus on this one. But one uh-huh. one time he reviewed about this one and he said that oh. um, Singapore has a very good research uh, place and a place for funding. Uh-huh. So he's still in California. He wanted to actually kind of join Singapore to do uh, this oh. research. I see. But scientifically on on rebirth. Yes. Okay. Which is he said um, the concept itself is unscientific, but he tried to do more. What like concept is unscientific? Rebirth, rebirth itself. What is the basis for saying that it's not scientific? He kind of, 
I don't have the con- I, what I hear from concept is that a lot of people thought rebirth is like religious and so not not scientific religious portion, but he tried to use from mm. uh, setting up university to study logically. Yes. Oh, well. So he mixed the two things together. Yes. Mix what two things religious together? And science. and science. I see. Well, the uh, the Buddha didn't have a degree, yeah. but we take refuge in him. Yeah. So for for myself, um, as I mentioned uh, in in previous classes, uh, I'm less inclined to uh, take some scientific experimentation as a basis for whether Buddhism is correct or not. Uh, we can, there, are, there are many parts of Buddhism that we can verify directly. If you, if, you, uh, if you learn to manage your mind, then you learn to manage your emotions. Yeah. You can verify this directly. <clears throat> and this has direct benefit to our life. Uh, and to me, that, that is more important for me. Yeah. Uh, rebirth. Rebirth. The process of verifi- verifying rebirth is actually very interesting. Take for example, whenever people ask me about uh, rebirth, or they ask me about, uh, oh, you go to this center or that center or this or that teacher, they can help you see your past life. So I often ask them this question, as I may have asked you all before. Uh, can you remember what you ate last Wednesday morning? How many of you can remember? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, in all the different classes I've asked this question, those who can very clearly say, I can remember, uh, they can remember through routine. Yeah. So if I further ask, can you remember exactly the scene when you are eating? Then they usually will say they cannot. But they remember they ate uh, two slices of peanut butter sandwich because that's what I eat every morning. <laughs> yeah, Just as I can tell you that last time I worked for how many months or one over year, two years, I was eating one egg, two croissant every single day. But if you ask me specifically, you suddenly pull out a date, I cannot remember the exact scene. So my point to people is, okay, uh, number one, just because you cannot remember what you ate and how you ate it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Wow, I just wrote this sentence last. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Let, let me feel it because it's almost time. So number one, yeah, just because you cannot remember it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Yeah, because it's in response to people saying, but I can't remember past life. You cannot even remember last Wednesday, you want to remember past life. <laughs> you know, number one. Number two, number two, uh, when we meditate, how many of you suddenly, how many of you have random thoughts, have thoughts when you're meditating? Okay. Then, when you have thoughts, how many of you meditate halfway, suddenly remember yourself brushing your teeth? 
Never, right? Mm. So again, these are questions I've asked many, many classes before. And this is the consistent response. Think about it. You brush your teeth every day. I hope. Don't have to tell me if you don't. Yeah? But definitely several many thousands of times in your whole life already. Yeah? 360, let's just say you happen to brush only 300 times a year, a year okay? 65 days, never brush your teeth. Then you multiply by, most of you are 30 and above. Let's just say all of us are 30 years old, okay? Happy. <laughs> so 30 times 300. How much is it? 9,000. 9,000 or something. So 9,000 times, but yet none of us ever sit halfway, eh, wow, remember yourself brushing your teeth. Or let's just say this morning. Can you remember how you brush your teeth this morning? Most of us cannot even remember. But yet, yet, when we meditate or don't meditate, we will recall the one time Shifu asked you a question and you couldn't answer. <laughs> you will remember the one time someone said something consciously or unconsciously and then put you in a spot. You remember it. Even though it happened once only. So my point about this is the second point. We have um, a very strange way of remembering things. We don't remember. We don't necessarily remember things because we keep doing it. We remember things that has very strong emotional impact on us. Yeah, and even then, half the time we are remembering wrongly, you know. <laughs> and this is proven by scientists. Yeah. Uh, this, uh, this has been proven through experimentation and in real life uh, all over the place. So, for example, how about time when I talk to people and then I, I mention about uh, something and then they will always say, no, no. But uh, when I say they remember wrongly, uh, I'll give you the exact actual example that I've read. Uh, um, first person account. So, when uh, when there's a robbery and they ask those who are there who saw the rob- robbery happen saw the assailant the description half the time is all wrong <laughs> when they have a lineup half the time they will just pick those that looks more suspicious <laughs> than the actual person who was who did the crime yeah our uh, the, the trouble is we only capture what was you know, important to us, not what was really there. So, from these two points, then I ask people, well, what do we do with what we can remember in this life? The things that make us upset and the things that make us happy. The things that make us upset, we hold on to it and continue to be upset. The things that make us happy, make us unhappy about our present moment. Because we think, ah, yeah, not not like the good old days, ah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, not all the time, not all the time, but oftentimes if it's good enough for you to remember, then you tend to spend time, ah, yeah, reminiscing, you know, yeah, uh, nostalgia, Then after that, we come back to re- to real life, ah, yeah, don't seems to be so good. So the 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 bottom line for this second part is. Just based on what we can remember in this life, we, we haven't l- learned how to make good use of what we can remember to help our present moment. 
So why are we in such a rush to remember past life? We should learn how to make use of what we already know. To forgive, to get over bad experiences. To cherish good experiences, but not to hold on to it and cling on to it, such that you end up, you cannot enjoy what you currently have. And many, many more. To me, if we work on this first, then one day if you hang hang or sway sway, really manage to learn about your past life, you know how to face it with wisdom. Uh, to me, this is the, the, the key thing that I always like to focus people on. Yeah. Um, as to the process of uh, finding out your past life, in Buddhism, it's actually quite a systematic approach. It starts off with you, first of all, um, when we do meditation, our mind is all over the place. So even our present breathing, we are not very clear about it. We still want to talk about past life. So when the mind is, has become so quiet, there's no additional chatter. So it means that you're not recording news, you're not actively making new stories. No. Each time we, we, have, we see something, hear something, we are commenting, no. we are create, writing new story already. You know. So if you can meditate until it's so quiet that you're not actively writing new things, then you can see clearly, ah, when this happened, then this arise. Then you can also backtrack and remember, ah, this thought came from that thought. I've mentioned in some meditation classes before about how, even for me, a very average, you know, to me, very average. Like, usually in, in a sitting, I, if there's a secret, if if you are able to meditate, uh, most people initially we try to meditate such that there's no thoughts. That's the first part, samatha. But at the later stage, even if there's thoughts, you should be able to know how many thoughts arise. Then, did the thoughts were you able to stop it or did it not stop? And what triggered this thought to arise? Then from this thought, did it trigger other thoughts to arise? If you can, if you can do that, it's, it's a very different experience, no? Because at some point I realized, oh, yeah, I had this thought and it was triggered by this, triggered by that, triggered... So able to backtrack all the way. But sometimes when you are very busy, you know, like sometimes drink, drink talks. Sometimes, eh, where, where are we? But even though we lose the train of thought, able to say, okay, we last discussed this, then it led to this. So this is actually all part of the mental training. And if a person can do this very consistently, then he's able to, with clarity, remember before this sitting, what was the thought that triggered this sitting? And then trigger all the way to this morning, the moment I woke up, what was the first thought that arise? Most of us wake up, wake up. <laughs> most of us cannot, cannot even remember our dreams, even though most of us have dreams at night. Yeah? Most of us, the process of waking up is very abrupt, suddenly wake up. But it's possible to go from sleep state, semi-sleep state, and then the, wake up with clarity. And from there, 
you would have the confidence that, yeah, then it's possible to really trace back all the mental states. Trace, 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 all the way to yesterday, the day before, trace until last year, trace, trace, trace. And the meditators who have done that is said to be able to trace all the way to their early childhood, trace all the way back to the point where they are born, and then trace all the way to the point where the first consciousness arise in this life. And then from there, they are able to trace ah, what was the previous thought moment that triggered this. Ah, there was a clinging. Yeah, so for, for us, we learn about the 12 links is a nice concept, you know. But for them, it is that they really, you know, and it's not come up with some imagination. Because, like, if I ask you, what was the question that triggered all this? Can, how many of you can remember? <laughs> yeah. Or, if I were to ask you, what are the few, f- first example that I gave, second, at least maybe half of you can remember. Yeah. But, that doesn't mean that, that doesn't directly prove that tracing to rebirth is possible, but at least it shows that all of us have differing ability to do recollections. Yeah. But that's the age that all other things that affects. Lesser, lesser to do with age or anything. Um, it's more to do with whether the person trains his mind. Those kids that is said to have recollection of past life is merely recollecting what was very impactful. Yeah. It's just like if now, if every Tuesday, uh, after class, I ask you all to come to me and I give you a slap. Confirm, remember. <laughs> Cannot remember the class, but remember the slap. <laughs> Next week, nobody come. <laughs> yeah. So, can you train this even when you're not meditating? Unfortunately, it's like asking, can you can you observe the other galaxy without a telescope? Hey, this Cannot. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, you can train this process. So it, it's basically training your mindfulness. That's why the word sati uh, actually have recollection inside the component. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it is not that in Buddhism it cannot be proven uh, uh, that you need some so called scientific approach. Yeah. But it is just that most of us are not ready to put in that kind of time. Yeah, just this weekend, three days. Hello, <laughs> uh, not, not so easy. Lah. Not so easy. But, it, you know, what I just described to you, it is a very systematic and, and uh, when, you, when you think about it, about what I just described, yeah, it, it is quite a credible process. It's just that most of us do halfway then yeah, I'm now already for thirty plus, forty plus, then oh, trace, trace, trace until the last Wednesday still <laughs> You know. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Yeah, not necessarily. Yeah. Yes. No, it's an example about how Western philosophy evolved. Yeah. For more details, you can go and listen to the podcast. Uh, but it's, it's related to how Western philosophy evolved to move um, to the point where they value logic as the maxim. And then they, um, 
supplement it with uh, verification against reality and how that uh, brought us to modern scientific approach. Mm. No? Okay, uh, you, you, can, you can ask your question. Yes, first, yeah, KS? I just want to cite, I mean, reinforce that uh, if you are fish uh, living in the water, do you know that the fish will know what's on the land? Uh, okay. okay, thank you very much. Okay, like, feeling? Uh, if a person know that, somehow know that going next life is going to be an animal, how to stir away from it? How to steer away from it? Well, if you are, <coughs> uh, if your person is going to be reborn in uh, different different realms, uh, driven by karma, then plus the defilements that is that is present. So if you are able to to work on your defilements, have right view, then it will pre- it can prevent the arising of. Uh, a rebirth in the lower realms, yeah. But it's not as though like, oh, I just do this, then I can go and do whatever I want. Because if you, it's a it's a matter of how how strong is your karma that has been done versus how much wisdom you have. If you have this much wisdom, you cannot possibly go and do a lot of stupid things also. But if you have reached arahanthood like Venerable Maha Mughalana, Venerable Angulimala, which I keep using as an example, even though the results were supposed to uh, cause a rebirth in the lower realms, he was able to overcome that because he don't connect with that um, even unwholesome states anymore. Are you... You look like you're going to be reborn in an animal realm. Isn't it? Then don't keep on doing even unwholesome deeds. Now, last, just one last point. Uh. The Buddhist teaching is not dogmatic or, or kind of fear factor. Yeah? So don't, as I just now mentioned to, to or I think you are, uh, don't keep on thinking that you have, you have a lot of negative karma, you're going to die and go to hell. Or what, what. Why, why do you keep on thinking in this way? Yeah, I'm, I'm saying you because you are the one who asked this question, ma. <laughs> Don't keep thinking that you're going to go to hell. You're going to become an animal. Yeah, focus on doing things that is wholesome. Yeah, don't keep on start off with the premise I'm going to go to hell. How? How you know you're going to go to hell? Unless you you really kill your your father, mother, kill Arhan and so on, la. Okay. Mm. Now, Chili.